Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The house always wins. So if you put a plan together and you think you're going to execute it, I'm trying to tell you, in friendship, you're not. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. We got a lot coming up on today's show. We're going to get into Henry Cejudo saying that Sugar Sean isn't the superstar that all of you think he is. Plus, I'm going to address the rumors of a fight between Nate Diaz and Dustin Poirier, and Brock Lesnar is even said to make an appearance at UFC 300. What? I'm going to give you my thoughts on all of that and more on today's show, guys. But let's begin with something that's getting a lot of buzz on the internet this week. Khabib Nurmagomedov has put out a list, his top 15 fighters of all time. Now, I got a big problem with this. As a matter of fact, I got two problems with it. One's named Conor McGregor and one is named Khabib himself. I'm going to get that in a minute. I want to start with a prop to whoever got this list from Khabib. I mean, don't forget, when Khabib retired against Gaethje, he said, I'm never going to do the sport again. But when Khabib retired the second time, it was out of the blue. And he said, I'm going to have nothing to do with MMA. Don't forget, Eagle FC was running. Don't forget, Islam Makhlchev was the champion of the world, drawing into Volkanovsky, the number one ranked guy in the world. Khabib set him out, and he meant it. He did not show up to events. He did not show up into the practice room. He went and did something else in life, and I'm so interested in Khabib. Like, I find him to be such a fascinating character that somebody got to him and got him to put out a list, and I'd like to tell that person, good job. Let's start at Khabib's number 15. He put a tie. Dominic Cruz and Frankie Edgar. And that is a very interesting one. That strikes me as low for Dominic Cruz. Now, before I go down that list, I had better not see another 35-pounder on here. As I go from 14 to 1, I had better not come across. And by the way, this is my first time looking at the list right here with you guys. My producer just put it up. But I better not see another 35-pounder. And you want to know why? Because Dominic Cruz was the best. He was the best, and fellow 35-pounders will tell you that. And if Aljamain Sterling would like to argue, he certainly got the right. And if Sugar Sean would like to say something, we will listen. But I think you will agree, we can't put Sean ahead of the body of work that Dominic Cruz did. So let me move to number 14. I'm looking at Mirko Krokop. I'm looking at Stipe Miocic. That's an interesting draw, in my opinion. They fight very similar. And before you tell me that Stipe's a baseball player slash wrestler and Mirko Kropkop's a kickboxer, I didn't say their history was the same. I said they fight very similar. The biggest problems you have with Stipe Miocic are on his feet. Regardless of how good his wrestling is or what his background is, the biggest problems you have are on your feet. Now, Stipe's going to use his hand and Mirko Kropkop's going to use his legs. But they're going to do it standing up. And I do get Khabib's comparison. Going down to number 13. He put Dan Henderson, and he also put Shogun. That's very sweet. I like that. I really do. And those two are tied together. 
Don't forget, not only did they have those couple of wonderful fights, they got inducted into the Hall of Fame for one of those fights. So we kept them together, and I think that's the right thing to do. Number 13, Randy Couture tied with Cain Velasquez. Now, you have to understand this from Khabib's perspective because Cain is his teammate. Cain is a leader in that room. Cain has something to do, to a degree, with Khabib's entire career. So we put these two juggernauts, and that is a very interesting fight. And the one bigger thing they have in common is not just the UFC heavyweight championship. It's not just that Khabib has them tied at number 13. The one big thing they have in common is Randy Couture was the first to weaponize pace. And Kane was the next within the heavyweight division to also make a weapon out of pace. So before you start breaking down who you think would win in a dream fight between those two, I think you just need to identify who do you think goes harder? Which one of them can push harder? Because that's going to intimidate and possibly back down the other one that's a thought for another day at number 11, Hoist Gracie. Now, it always bothers me when Hoist is that low, but I do understand Khabib's point. I won't argue for you that Hoist is the most well-rounded because I can't. The sport is growing so incredibly fast. Like the guys of today that are well-rounded, if you fast forward 20 years, and 20 years ago, by the way, or 18 years ago, was Hoist's last UFC fight. But if you fast forward another 18 years, even the guys of today are going to steam a step out of touch. It's just one of these sports that's growing and forming it. Number 10 is BJ Penn. And I can just tell you from personal experience, at one point in BJ's life, he was the best. And I don't mean in the weight class. You saw that. You saw him with the belt around his waist. I'm talking about in the world. BJ Penn came through Team Quest when we were the number one gym. They used to do a ranking. And we never fell out at number three. We were number one, number one, number three, number two, back to number one. Like this, this is the way that this list went. So as the top gym in the world, and BJ Penn came in, and I will just tell you, group for group, we had all sorts of sizes. Group for group, man for man, I watched BJ. I watched him. I felt him. I sparred him myself. At a point in his life, that was the best fighter alive, period. Any weight class. Now, Israel Adesanya comes in at number nine. There is an expression, and it is ever so true, but I feel it's also being applied on Khabib's list, that an artist gets his greatest recognition and his value after death. Now, it can also be the death of a career, right? It can simply be a retirement. It can, it can just be he's gone. But to put Adesanya at number nine... I feel as though if he retired today, right now, Adesanya never throws another punch. He never beats anybody else. I feel as though he is going to soar up the list, that people are going to look at him as the greatest middleweight ever, and they're also going to move him up. But while you're competitive and you're busy, as a matter of fact, you're in training camp, getting ready for Sean Strickland, coming up on September 16th, live and only on ESPN pay-per-view, I must tell you, I think that that pulled Adesanya down. I don't think on, on my list that I could put him that low, but I understand it because he's still got more to do. Kamar Usman comes in at number eight. Kamar Usman is possibly the most understood welterweight of all time. Truly. He is possibly the most 
underappreciated and disrespected welterweight of all time. If you look at what Kamara Usman had to go through just to get a title shot, you go look at what he had to go We've had guys that have come through the Ultimate Fighter and by winning the Ultimate Fighter, go into title shots. Oh, and by the way, that makes perfect sense because we have a number of guys that won the Ultimate Fighter that also won the world title. A lot of you don't even know he won the Ultimate Fighter. I mean, that's how much work he had to do just to get the opportunity. Then when he had that opportunity, he ran with it to an extent that he became the first name that you could say surpassed George St. Pierre within the division and not look stupid. You wouldn't be right. You would lose that argument, but you could say it without looking stupid. That's how good Kamar Usman is. Oh, and by the way, see my point to Adesanya, Kamar Usman isn't done but I can live with this. I can live with him at number eight for now. Number seven, Jose Aldo. No disagreement. Number six, Henry Cejudo. No disagreement. Possibly the greatest combat athlete ever. Henry Cejudo, if you would have brought in three different judges just for fun, but Henry Cejudo could be the world champion right now. I mean, not only did he win a belt, not only did he win a belt, not only did he win a gold medal, he might be the champion right now. I mean, I'm just sharing with you, like, that performance against Aljo, if other people watched it, may have given him the belt. And I don't think you guys would disagree, right? When that fight ended, we were all kind of sitting there going, eh, who won that fight? It was a close one. That's my only point, and it was a comeback fight, and comeback fights are your worst fights. On his worst fight, he might have still won the belt. I like Henry at number six. Number five. Daniel Cormier. How do we get there? How we get number how we get DC at number five? He's the world champion of two divisions simultaneously, which by the way, have the biggest gap of any division. Like if you're the 45-pound champ and the 55-pound champ like Connor was, that's awesome because those divisions are so hard, but they're separated by 10 pounds. What difference does it make? I mean, what difference does it actually make? Well, excuse me. Between 205 and 265, that's your gap? And Cormier had both the straps? I, you know, number five's not a bad number. It's not a bad number, but I think Daniel's even better than that. Number four, Demetrius Johnson. No disagreement. No disagreement. Demetrius is still active and he's still busy. So many people say Demetrius has to do it at 125 pounds. He can't get it done at 135. I'm okay with that. Like, that's not an insult to Demetrius. You're just factually incorrect. Demetrius won the one championship at what's called bantamweight, but it's 135 pounds. I apologize, what's called flyweight, but it's at 135 pounds. A lot of people don't know that. I just like to bring you that distinction. He was the champion at 125. Yes, he was. Also the champion at 135. Number three, Anderson Silva. That's beautiful. I won't disagree. I feel when you get to 3-2-1, I feel we're, we're interchangeable, right? And maybe that's the Olympic fan in me. But they're all on the stand. They're all getting a medal. Even if somebody else at Anthem's playing, they're all recognized. I can live with Anderson at number one. But Anderson did do a couple of things that he never got credit for. Before Anderson came to the UFC, he fought at 170 pounds, and he whipped the hell out of everybody. He then fought at 175 pounds, and he beat the hell out of everybody. He came in at 185. He was the king, at, but he also went up to 205 pounds. Oh, and by the way, that was against a world champion named Forrest Griffin, and he was out of there five minutes after he started. Anderson Silva did a lot, and he did it at different weight classes. I mean, when you're talking about a pound-for-pound pound great, there's only a few guys that actually tested that theory. 
We got some really great fighters that refused to leave their division. Anderson Silva did multiple times, and he won. And you got him at number three. I can't disagree with that. Number two, George St. Pierre. I got a big problem with that one. I got a big problem because he's the greatest ever. Now you put him at number two and I just did a diatribe that anybody in the top three and I can live with it, but I'm just sharing with you number two for the greatest ever. I don't know. Is that a personal beef? Those two were connected so many times. Let me get to Khabib's number one. Then I'll get to my problem with this list. It is number one. We've got a tie. Fedor Emelianenko and John Jones. Fine. And it's not just Khabib that admires John Jones, by the way. Khabib's father said some beautiful things about John Jones. If you want to go back and you want to look that up, but I will tell you why there was, I was kind of impressed with Khabib for putting John number one. You want to know why? When Khabib retired at 29 and 0, when he was in that cage with Justin Gaethje, he did ask for something and it wasn't a future opponent. Like we thought there is no future opponent because he just retired. You know what he asked for? He asked that the rankings committee put him the following week at number one pound for pound. He said, I am number one. You've been screwing me from the beginning, and this is my last shot because I'm retired, so let's get it right next week. He went out and asked for that, and John Jones pushed back when it actually happened because they did put him at number one just for asking, and John Jones pushed back. So what are you doing? That's not how this works. You can't ask to be number one. Nobody's beat we. Nobody's come close. Nobody's even dealt with I'm just saying that they had a little bit of a back and forth. Ultimately, Khabib came out on top, but he's showing with some respect. Now, let me tell you my problem with the list. I just read you 1 through 15, and Khabib put so much thought into this, he even had ties. Yeah, Randy Couture and Cain Velasquez tied, he can't make up his mind. He's got Fedor and John Jones tied at number one, he can't make up his mind. I mean, he really put some thought into this. He left himself off the list. How does a guy 29 and 0 not make the list? How does a guy that called his own shots not make the list? How does a guy that they built an arena for not make the list. How does a guy that was so dominant, he has more 10-8 rounds in unarmed combat than anybody in the history, and that includes boxing? He should have put himself on the list. Good leaders won't do that. It was a humble move, and I would expect nothing less from Khabib. But why isn't Conor on here? Conor McGregor has won so many world championships he forgot. Conor McGregor literally trademarked the phrase champ, champ. Now, I find that hilarious because he was a champ, champ, champ. I watched him beat Eddie. I watched him beat Aldo. I watched him beat Mendez. That was the first night they gave him a belt. It was the interim belt. But if you're bragging about a 45 and a 55, those are just words. Why would interim, why would it not make the list? Conor McGregor won so many world championships, he forgot to trademark one of them. He should be on the top 15 something. You gotta lose to win, see you Saturday. This is Dustin the Diamond Poirier. This is his Twitter feed, see you soon. I'm going to fight again this year. Oh, boy. What is he talking about? Hey, Siri, call Dustin Poirier. This is a very interesting one, guys, in my opinion. Dustin Poirier doesn't play games. He just this just isn't who he is. Uh, he doesn't try to sell things. He's actually spoke about that. He doesn't believe in it. If Dustin Poirier says he's fighting this year, he's fighting this year. But he's also being coy 
about who it's about. This might not go well. He might send us to voicemail or he might just blow off the question if we reach him. But he's pretty good at answering his phone and he's really good at returning phone calls. There's a rumor. Dustin Poirier versus Nate Diaz. I believe the rumor. Hey, guys, leave my, leave my dad a message. He's busy. Oh, see, now that's very cute. That was very sweet. All right. He's good at calling back. I'm going to keep my phone up here. We'll see where this goes. But I caught my producer, Ryan, off guard here. We're going over some topics. It wasn't this one. I, I went to Twitter. I like to scan Errol Hawani's Twitter page. I used to be able to steal ideas from him, but now he's in, I'm into soccer, and I'm into basketball. Look at this guy throw darts, and... I'm a cool guy. I don't do any of those things. All right, but here's the point. As I'm on Twitter, I see this thread from Dustin. And I told you a couple that it said, but I could keep going. Like, Dustin really had some fun with the audience. And he says, see you soon. But prior to that, he did say, and this is the only clue he gave us this year. One of those tweets, if I, if I would have scrolled down and found it, does say this year. Coming from Dustin Poirier, that means he's fighting this year. So... Oh, we should call Tiki. Tiki manages Dustin. We should find out what's going on here. Now, but, but hold on, guys. Because finding out and breaking news, I can do that on social media. But again, I'm not that guy. If I had information that would be like breaking news, I would send it to Ariel or Ramonde or Akimoto. I'm not that guy. That's a kind of guy. But that that's their lane, right? I like to speculate. I don't know that I would want to have the answer right now. And I'll tell you why. If Dustin Poirier says he's fighting this year, he's fighting this year. That you can go and take to a headline. If Dustin Poirier says that he's fighting, it also means that he has an opponent. And if Dustin Poirier is coming out and teasing and dangling, it's because he's got something he wants you to know, but he's been sworn to secrecy. And when you think about a fight for Dustin Poirier, there's not very many. There's not. I mean, there's, there's massive ones. Dustin can go and do whatever he wants. I'm talking about guys that could get on the docket with him. I'm talking about the prettiest girl in school. Like, for sure, she's going to the dance. The question is, who's she going to let accompany her? And I, I bring it to you that from, from that perspective because Dustin never agreed with a statement made by Justin. Justin said, you are my favorite fighter. Let's agree to never fight again. Now, that's as close to kindness as you're going to get from UFC Gaethje. That's as close to sportsmanship as you're going to get from UFC Gaethje. That's as close to a compliment as you're going to get from UFC Gaethje. It was a big deal that Gaethje said this. But he also said it in the moment where we don't judge anybody. We, don't, we can't give a guy credit, but we can't give a guy a criticism. Right after a fight. There is a high. You're high. On relief. And the other guy, you can't judge him either. You're down. You're not yourself on disappointment. Right? I, and I'll take that. You want to talk about Dustin? I'll take that back to his fight with Conor McGregor where, he, where he's on the canvas and he's talking about the DMs. It's just not one of those moments we can judge a guy. Right? So I do want you to know that happened because they did ask Dustin Poirier about that comment. That comment was meant, that Justin made was meant to be between two guys. There just happened to be a camera with a boom mic that picked up the sound. That was in the cage for time reference. Go to the press conference. Right, you're talking about 25 minutes later because it was a main event. There was no other fight. You're talking about 20 minutes later? They asked Poirier about it. 
Corey said, he laughed and said, I don't know about that. He did not agree. So I bring that to you because the rubber match makes sense, makes a lot of sense. I also maintain you have to find something for Gaethje to do that's meaningful. I believe that. All right, it's Poirier. Hold on, guys. I got to put my glasses on. I don't like you to see me in my glasses, and I don't like you to see me squint. How do you like that? All right, it's Poirier. Hold on. <sighs> what's up, bro? Don't what's up, bro me, period. You know exactly what this is about, period. What do you got? Who's it against? And is it a secret or can I share? Question mark. I'm actually filming right now, and I'm making this by voice text. But if it's a secret, I won't read your response out loud, period. All right, full disclosure for him, right? What more can I do? So, uh... Hold the thought on Gaethje. See, I think it's important you find something for Gaethje to do. I don't like the premise that we have three number one contenders at the same time, which is what we have right now at 155 pounds. Okay? We got Charles Oliveira, who's got a signed contract. That makes him the number one contender. We got Justin Gaethje, who after winning the BMF belt, said, I'm fighting Islam next. Islam's a four-to-one favorite over Charles. But all, all, all Justin's doing is calling dibs on that fight. However, I think the parody helps him. I think if he draws into Islam, that helps him. Problem is Islam, or I apologize, Alex Volkanovsky was told, and we were all told that he was told, like this wasn't a secret. If you win your next fight, which is against Jaria Rodriguez, and he did, and Islam wins his next fight, you guys match up next. All right, I'm about to go to it. We might have the answer here, but I want to get my thought out before we do have the answer. I don't think they want three number one contenders. We've never had a time in the sport where we have that. I think at 170 pounds, we have two right now. I think. I know it's Colby, but I believe Mohammed, for doing the short notice fight against one of the most dangerous guys in Gilbert Burns, I think that he's a number one contender. I think that Mohammed is sitting out and waiting. And I don't know how much of that we want in this sport. So, so, so now you take that situation and you add a factor of it. So you, find, you take players off the board. You find something for Gage to do. So Gage is a meaningful guy, but he's actually not my prediction. You want to know my prediction? It's Nate. Nate and Poria got a history that never got resolved. And I think Nate, after getting a feel for promotion, of which he did a great job, they did some really incredible numbers, but after getting a feel for it, I think he realized, you know what? When it gets to crunch time, it's hard to do both. I want to just focus on the fight, and I think maybe he saw that the UFC took care of a lot of those things that he didn't know what was going on. And I actually get that from Nate. Nate had made a comment at a press conference. Nothing at all like what I just said, but it was still my interpretation from it. All right, let's go Let's go to Poirier and see if we can get an answer here. But here, I'm going to give you my prediction. And that's a wild one. Telling you, predicting Nate Diaz. You want to know why this is so wild and why this is so difficult, guys? There's no dates left. You're not going to convince me that these guys are going into a co-main event spot. I don't care if Poirier is coming off a loss. You're not going to convince me he's going into a co-main event spot, but he might be. I'm hearing rumblings from within the UFC that there's not a complete confidence that Jones and Stipe... I'm hearing reports that there, there's a desire to beef up that car. I'll put it that way. All right. Oh, Poirier sent me three of them. All right. I got, I got to read it first because I told him I wouldn't read it. So I got to read it first to make sure he, he gives me uh, uh, permission. Oh, I'm finishing up a run right now. 
That's why I didn't answer the phone. Whoa, that's a blow off. I mean, that's a response. That's a response blowing you off. <laughs> right? That's a response blowing you off. Mm. Oh, and he gave me an LOL. All right, so he's admitting. The LOL means he's admitting that he blew me up, but I can read that to you guys. Right? I told him that I was here and that I would read it unless there was private information. And An LOL and a, I'm on a run, that's not private info. So I, I've got to say that, right? And he doesn't know that he can, he, he can trust me while I'm reading his messages here. So I mean, what do you guys make of it? Right? Nate's a huge call by me. That's a ridiculously big call by me, considering we don't know what Nate's going to do and a rematch against Paul in Bach is on the table, not to mention a rematch against Paul in MMA is on the table. For him to walk away from that, walk away all the numbers, I mean, right, like, Nate's tough. Nate doesn't play around, man. You talk about a guy that knows his worth, oh, and by the way, is right. A guy knowing his worth when, how much money can I get versus what am I worth? Those are two very different questions. You got a guy that's willing to lose money, that's a different question. Kind of like Nate, a guy like Nate Diaz that wants a guarantee, but he also wants to come in on the back end to make sure you get a nice big check and then he gets a little piece. I mean, in all fairness, right, Nate does business the right way, but it's a big prediction by me. I mean, that's a very big prediction. I say that because if I get this right, I want you guys to give me a ton of credit. It's just a guess, but here, but here's my other side of it, right? I'm banking everything I'm telling you on the premise that Dustin Poirier has never effed around with us. Never, never, zero, never has he played a game with us. So if he says he's fighting this year, okay, everything I'm saying is predicated on that being accurate. If for the first time ever he's decided he can have a little fun on social media, which is how we all use it, so we would understand and give him room. If he did that, then everything I said goes up in smoke. But if he is fighting where? I mean, most importantly is where, because we've only got one date left on a pay-per-view that doesn't have an established main event. That's December. Now that is being held, right? There's a place setter put on that. Covington versus Leon, which by the time that comes around is going to be huge. Colby hadn't even started yet. And he's got a very rare skill set. That's going to be huge. But something has delayed it. I blame it on Leon. I blame it on Leon admitting to you guys I don't have any info. I just know that Leon's always been a little bit hesitant. Now, at some point, a prize fighter's got to go in and fight. I think they're looking at the December date. That's in conjunction with Volkanovski saying a week ago, I'm staying at 45. What's up, Ilya Taporia? Start running your mouth. We're fighting this year, which would move them to the December date. Then you have McGregor coming out, telling the world he wants to fight Chandler. By the way, Connor's not kidding, just so you know. He's not kidding. So they get some really good options for December, but now you have a guy who's never messed with you telling he's fighting this year. I don't think he's a co-main eventer. And I happen to know what he's paid, that he would be the highest paid co-main event in the history of the organization, which might be the case. They might pay a co-main event higher than they pay a main event. There'd be nothing to stop you and put it at Madison Square Garden. That could be true, but I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I have a hard time believing it. So where's he go, right? Like everything I said can't be true. So what is true? Wait a minute, my phone went off. This is our last shot. This is our last shot, guys. If this is him and he gives us an answer, great. If he doesn't, we'll call it a day. We'll, we'll circle back to this. But I want you to hedge your bets. I want you to go down the comment section and hedge your bets. All right, I got a voicemail. I got a voicemail from Pori. I'm not comfortable calling him back. I'm not sure he understood that I told him I'm live. 
I know he responded to that, but if he's out, if he's doing a run, he couldn't, you know, it's kind of a long message. I'm not confident he knows. I can't, I can't call him back in front of you guys. I'm sorry. We'll have to do this tomorrow. Hedge your bet, though. Is Poirier fighting this year? If so, what weight class? And most importantly, who? College football fans, are you ready for week one? DraftKings Sportsbook is hooking you up with a can't-miss offer to start the season strong. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on college football and score $200 in bonus bets instantly. Anything can happen in college football. Your team could go from unranked to dynasty mode in just a couple of years. Change comes fast. The only thing that's a lock is the great offers from DraftKings Sportsbook. Guys, life's more fun when you're in on the action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Do it right now and use the promo code CHAIL. New customers can score $200 in bonus bets instantly when they bet just $5 on college football. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code CHAIL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-H-O-P-N-Y or text HOPE-N-Y to phone number 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling at 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, Kansas, 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction. Boyd in Ontario, cdkng.co slash football for eligibility, terms and responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Guys, the number one question I get asked all the time, what's the most important habit you can build on to be successful? You know what my answer is? Sleep. I am no sleep expert, but I can tell you that for myself, I perform at my optimum level mentally and physically when I'm getting regular deep sleep, and honestly, that hasn't always been easy. This is where Momentous Sleep Pack comes in. Momentous experts created a natural ingredient combination that will help you fall asleep faster, stay asleep longer, and wake up refreshed. The ingredients are so clean that they're used by the best Olympians, pro athletes, and college teams. Momentous Sleep Pack has every certification under the sun, including being NSF certified. I usually take a pack 30 minutes before bed, and boom, I wake up feeling like a million bucks. If you're having trouble sleeping and it's affecting your daily performance, I highly recommend Momentous Sleep Pack. Designed by the world's best experts, used by the world's best teams and athletes, and made for all of us, guys. Go to livemomentous.com. Use the promo code CHAIL. That's going to get you 20% off your first order. That's livemomentous.com and use the promo code CHAIL. Marab, are you listening? Now, Dana just spoke to a reporter, but he's speaking to you. He's speaking directly to you. And I just want to do the same thing because I feel that there's a misunderstanding. I'm not coming at you to get you to turn on your friend Aljo. Hey, newsflash, I'm friends with Aljo. Now, I'll disclose I've never had this conversation with him, and I'm not going to. This is your guys' business, but there does appear to be a misunderstanding. Your loyalty is unmatched, and it's admired. 
And I will completely defend you to people who don't understand what that's about. Not to mention, I don't think you probably know a whole lot of people in this country when you came. I think you were welcomed in. I think you were treated like a brother. And I think you're trying to repay that. Guys like you are very rare. I feel there's a misunderstanding on what the current landscape is. The agreement, as I understood it, and I'm only as good as the media where you and Aljo have set little things down here and there, but I followed it. And the agreement was that you're not going to go take the belt from him, and he's not going to beat you up if you qualify and try to take the belt from him. You guys aren't going to fight, right? That's an easier way to say it. You're not being asked to fight. And this is a big message, okay? Now, if there was ever a miss by Dana White, who doesn't miss very often, but if there was ever a miss by him, sometimes he knows and sees things that he thinks are so obvious that he thinks the fighters see it. And they don't. So... This is very helpful. This is the second time in one month where Dana has made something very clear, right? I mean, the first time was just on the Wonder Boy situation with the weight loss. We have never been told in extremely clear terms what is expected by the organization in that event. Well, now we've cleared that up. He came out, he cleared that up, and this is his second time. But it's a different situation than whatever deal you guys agreed upon which had to do with, I'm not going to fight you. I'm not going to take what you have and Aljo in return. I'm not going to stop you. I, I, I got to bring that to you. Because there was a time that Rory McDonald and George St. Pierre were champion and number one contender. which couldn't get that right. There was a time with John Jones and Rashad Evans and the same gym and their buddy. I mean, they just couldn't get it right to this day. I mean, they, they moved away to this day, were cornered and taught and trained by other guys. That isn't what's happening here. But there is a new statement put out by Marab, and this is what Dana was speaking to. And I wanted to play that video so that you guys had the answer. But now let me tell you, just so you understand where this is coming from, okay? Aljo's plan was to beat Sugar Sean, of which he was favored to do, and leave and go up to 145 pounds and go smack dab after Alex Volkanovsky. That was a great plan, and it was really interesting. But like all plans, right, you're driving down the road and you get a flat tire every now and then. Hit a little speed bump. You got to pull over, right? Make some little pit stop. So we all understand those things. A misunderstanding by Marab, right? So many people think that Marab's a number one contender. That's debatable, but many people think that he's a number one contender. I believe that he certainly could be, but if Aljo stays, I think that the champion falls to number one. I don't care if he gets beat in three seconds. If, he, if the champion and number one fight, whatever happens and however it happens, I think they just switch spots. That's what I believe. History agrees with me. History says they go to the rematch. But history also says we don't go to a rematch in a quiet room on a Tuesday at 9 a.m. We go to the rematch when the former champion, who now becomes the number one contender, calls for the rematch immediately. That's not what happened. Not only did that not happen, that was very polite. I mean, that's a whole other conversation. I think that Aljo gained a lot of fans for that. Set that aside, though. Not only did we not do that, we moved on in the form of Cheeto Vera. So it, it's a really difficult thing to run back. Now, I'm not telling you guys what's going to happen, because I don't know. But... I do want to make sure that you understand it has been decided amongst Aljo and company. I'm sure Coach Longo's involved in this. It sounds like Marab's involved in this, but it has been decided amongst them that in fact Cheeto Vera is next, that in fact we missed our opportunity to call him out in that moment, 
Cheeto slid in there. We're going to let Cheeto have it in what we believe to be December. And then we take on the winner. And we believe that's going to be Sugar Sean. And therefore, Marab is going to wait until all of those things are done. Guys, all of those things are make-believe. They could happen. Elon could get us to Mars. I mean, right, but there, there is no, just to start at the very beginning, there is no Cheetah Vera versus Sean O'Malley fight. We could hedge our bet. I fully believe that's the direction that we're going. Okay, great, but let's say we get there. They are not reserved for the December date. I, I, I mean, I, I got to start at the very beginning because there's, there's not one statement there's not one thing that you use as your evidence to then make your statement, which is, I'm out. I'm out. I'm Marab. I'm out. I'm going to get Aljo ready. Aljo's getting the rematch. This is what we're doing. And if Aljo wins, then I'm going to stay gatekeeper. Or if Aljo wins, we go back to the original plan, and he goes to 145, and that's when I slide in. Well, by that time, you pissed everybody off. Like, that isn't going to happen. I can assure you. You ever been to Vegas? Rob, I know that you have rhetorical questions, but you've seen those big, beautiful places they call casinos? The big, beautiful swimming pools. They got them elevators that take you up 50 stories. Grab a little phone, you push one button, they'll bring you some food. You ever seen one of those? It's because the house always wins. So if you put a plan together and you think you're going to execute it, I'm trying to tell you, in friendship, you're not. So perhaps it's you that goes to 145. Or perhaps it's not. Perhaps you go and pick a fight. Perhaps you just keep on moving along, going along to get along. You're not being forced or even asked to face Sterling, which to my understanding was the agreement. And when Dana spoke about this, he did ask you a very strong and direct question. You're going to ask, have to ask yourself that. But the question was, if you don't want the title, if you don't want the main event, if you don't want the points, the belt, and the biggest opportunities we have to offer, why did you get into this in the first place? And that's tough. That's a tough question, right? That's going to provoke a very tough response. It was the right question for Dana to ask. And that response, as tough as it is, is very important that you have. I don't mean for people like me. I don't mean to satisfy. I just mean internally. Your response and your loyalty, and I know that it's a payback. I don't know what it is that Al Joe and Coach Longo and all of them did for you, but I could imagine. We've had plenty of guests come over where we've had to help with visas and green cards and build opportunities and get them into professional sport. There's been plenty of people. So I, I feel as though I've got a really good idea, and I know that they treated you really right. I know this isn't a one-way street, and you're just looking out for Aljo. I know that he's looked out for you. I just have to remind you as calmly as I can, and I'm friends with Aljo. By the way, I haven't had this conversation with him, but I'm sharing with you, you're not being asked to fight each other. That, is, that just isn't the situation. As a matter of fact, you weren't even asked to fight Sean O'Malley. As a matter of fact, you haven't been declared the number one contender. These are all thoughts and conversations that you've had within your bubble. And when you have those private conversations within your bubble, but you reveal to the outside world what your conclusion to those conversations is, that's where you start to turn people. Like, we're always going to take it your word. What color belt are you, Marab? I would imagine a black belt. But what color belt are you? Okay, great. 
You've given that answer before. I'm not the first to ask you. Just by example, right? Has anybody ever said prove it? Just by example. Has anyone ever told you to prove it? Have you told anybody where you're from? Just by example. And they asked you for a passport outside of trying to board an airplane. Has that ever happened? I'm trying to prove a very simple point, which we will take you at your word. So if you come out with some kind of a statement, even if you don't mean it, if you're like, no, hey, Mick, Sean, Dana, call me. We're going to take you at your word. And if your word is I'm going to sit, I'm going to wait. There's no reason to try to find an opponent for you. I don't think that's what you mean. And I think that you fact that you don't want to fight Alger and that you're not going to, you're going to help each other. I love that. I think it's honorable, man. I'm on your side completely. I just want to make sure that you do understand what's being said. Sugar, Cheeto, December, Aljo, after that, in next year, none of those things are real. Those things were created in whatever bubble you're in, but the responses that you put out are real. Let's fix this, and I'll help you. Henry Cejudo just did a piece on, I would call it a reaction to, the numbers... The star power, Sugar Sean O'Malley, and Henry was using it as his evidence, and, and ultimately he maintained that Sugar Sean is not a star yet, and he used his evidence that the pay-per-view between Sean O'Malley and Aljo Sterling did 350,000 buys, and I want to start with that. I want to start with that because that, that's very interesting to me. First off, Henry wouldn't know. He claimed a source inside ESPN. Okay, it, it really doesn't matter. It was a really good guess. All right, take that from another guy who's got a source. It, it, that's it's a really good guess. Why did why did that go to Sugar Sean? Sugar Sean walked out second. Why did that go to Sean? And there's an answer to that. I'm just trying to get you guys to come along the journey so that you understand. Do you know what a Nielsen rating is? Do you know how you get a Nielsen rating? It is the only rating that any advertiser that does linear television. And linear is just a word that pricks use, right? TV's TV. They'll go off of a rating system known as the Nielsen rating. But do you know how that works? Okay, there's a thousand households. And they're all given a remote control. And they are part of this Nielsen system. So they have sworn that they will push a button when they're watching TV. Enter a code for how many people are watching with them within the living room or dining room setting. When somebody leaves the room for whatever reason, if it's to get a snack, go to the bathroom, or they've just lost interest, you will then hit a button. When they return to the room, if they return to the room, you will hit a button to signify that they have to return to the room. I'm about a quarter way through that system. I could continue on and on and on and tell you the rest, but do you see the problem already? Okay, that's called a Nielsen rating. And there's not a whole lot of other things that you can do. Like as many flaws as you want to find with the system that I just said, there's not a whole lot of other things that you can do. And I only bring that to you because I don't necessarily give our analytics department a hard time. I just disclose for the audience the way that it works. If you have an event, it's not the main event that gets the credit. Whoever wins the main event then gets credit with the numbers. It could be a dud you could win the main event and have a dud for whatever storyline or factors or issues that you had to compete with. It will go to you. So Sugar Sean, because he won, now we're calling this the Sugar Sean Show, and the 350000 goes to Sean. 
absolutely no credit or consideration given to the fact that it was, in fact, the champion who was getting ready to make Bantam rate history with a proper title defense, of which he was favored almost three to one to do. I mean, I'm just sharing for you so you understand the problems with this theory. Nothing would have been hurt on Sugar Sean, and nothing would even be touched on Sugar Sean had he lost the match and it done 50,000 buys. That fully would have got blamed on Sterling. So I just want to make sure that you even understand where we're coming from. Now, secondly, I believe Henry's attempt here was to pull down Sugar Sean, and I just got to know, since when did 350,000 buys turn into a bad number? Henry furthered this by saying, and Henry, I'm not giving you a hard time. I talk to Henry on the phone all the time. Now I'm, now, now I'm over here bashing him, but I don't mean to. I would just love to hear what his counter is. Tell me where I'm looking at it wrong. First off, it only gets credit to Sean because Sean won. That's weird, but let's do it anyway. Because that's a fair system for how it works across the board. 350 being a bad number. Since when? What are you comparing that to that 350 is a bad number? What, like each year, pay-per-view gets a little bit smaller. I mean, pay-per-view, the business at least gets a little bit tougher. There's other ways to watch. There's more content creators that sell to different distributors and count less on pay-per-view. There's hacking, there's theft, there's a number of reasons, but pay-per-view, I say it got smaller. Let's change the word to say harder. It just gets harder each year. Well, a year ago, Surreal and Francis fought and they did less than 350,000 buys. I'm trying to put this in perspective for you, right? The lighter weights have always had a hard time selling. Now, that's an older theory. Thank you, Floyd Mayweather. Thank you, Oscar De La Hoya. Thank you, Manny Pacquiao. Thank you, Conor McGregor. But the lighter guys have always had a hard time. Now, in this situation, I'm taking our lighter championship fight. I'm going back a year. Compared to a heavyweight fight. And the lightweights out did the heavyweights. When did 350,000 become a bad number? That's the part that really does confuse me. First off, we don't even know. We don't even have confirmation. The drip is still coming in. It's not going to change a whole lot. Henry did a good job with his guesstimation there. Whether he faked a source or not, good job with the guess. Let's call a 350. It's close enough. Let's call 350. When did that become a bad number? And how come that got put on Sean? And by the way, there's also a metric that one can follow for when a guy's star starts to rise. I don't know what that current metric is, but I knew know back in the day, back around 2003, it was 15%. A guy's value would go up 15% each time he fought. So if you did 350,000 buys, you can expect a 15% bump just by example in the next one. I don't disagree with those numbers. A live gate, piracy at an all-time high, 350,000 buys, that's a solid night of business. I'm confused what numbers you would use to counter that claim. Chemayev and Paulo Costa, so we got an opinion on this by one guy who we would really like to get an opinion on it from, which was Gilbert Burns. Gilbert Burns went out there and felt Chemayev for 15 minutes. Three licensed judges believe that Gilbert Burns won a round. Many people think that he won two rounds. I mean, I'm just sharing with you, like, if anyone has the right to an opinion, I think we can all agree that 
it's Gilbert. And Gilbert went with the same breakdown that you would. If it stays on the feet, good for the Terminator, I mean Apollo Costa. If it goes to the ground with Chemayev on top, good for Chemayev. And okay, fine. That probably doesn't surprise you and maybe even bores you just a little bit, but he wasn't done. Gilbert said the difference in this fight is going to be decided in the clinch. Now you have my attention, Gilbert. That's an interesting analysis. And who would you favor in that? That's a really hard one. There's not a ton of times in a fight that strength matters. Strength helps, but there's not a ton of times that it matters. Like, just to give you an example from boxing, the question for boxers as it comes to lifting weights is it bad for you or is it really bad for you, right? Like there's times when those muscles and that strength is not something that you want to turn to. I will tell you right now, the clinch is the exception. And when I look at Paulo Costa, and I'm judging a book by its covers, I've never grabbed a hold of him, but boy, does he ever look strong, like intimidatingly strong. And now we're seeing photographs coming out of Chemayev, Joe Rogan, did a piece on this that I cut where he was showing the pictures of Chemayev. I'm talking about, man, this guy's a beast and this guy is huge. And I appreciate that Joe went down that route because these two guys do have one thing in common. Chemayev and Paulo Costa have one competitive piece of nature in common, which is neither one of them respects the scale. But I feel like that is one of the bigger talking points of this whole thing, right? If you're going to go over to DraftKings and you're going to take odds on this, are they going to make weight, right? Is one of them going to miss weight or are they both going to miss weight? And the way that we got to this fight is like no other fight I've seen. I mean, just to remind you of the timeline, I... Personally, went on Errol Hawani's show, and I got credit for this, right? Aaron Bronstetter from Canada, a massive player in that country and in our sport as a whole, gives me credit for this. I am the one that reported that these two were going to fight. I even reported that it was going to be October 22nd. Now, I'm not looking to be the guy that breaks news. I just I had just spoke to him, so I just happened to have, as I go on Ariel's show. But from the time that I announced that, that fight was broken up, and Paulo Costa was sent to Salt Lake City. He was going to return to Salt Lake City. That is where he had his last fight against Luke Rockhold, which was fight of the night. He was a huge star, huge pop from the crowd. They're going to send him back to that same audience, and he's going to take on a Russian kickboxer. And that one was a little bit of a head-scratcher. And I am not attempting to disrespect that Russian kickboxer. He is very good, and I have read his record. I'm just kind of referred to him as the Russian kickboxer because I don't know his name. And I don't know his name because neither do you, and we don't know his name because he hasn't fought on TV on pay-per-view against top-ranked guys. None of that is to discount his abilities and his skills, by the way. I'm just sharing with you, you have a main event guy like Paulo Costa who's going to go and take on Chemayev on an undercard of a main event that isn't yet set, and once it gets set, it's a 4-1 to spread that people aren't overly interested. I mean, not for nothing. We really need Jemayev and Paulo, it would seem, on that card, but they broke it up. They broke it up and sent Paulo Costa to Salt Lake City. And Paulo Costa did the entire training camp. 
and there was no opponent for Chemayev. And this wasn't a case of like a revolving door. Nobody wanted to get called for Chemayev. Nobody wanted to be that guy. And whoever they did call an offer to, which I'm sure they did do, we never heard about. And I miss those days. I really do miss the days, right? Like if a guy agrees to a fight and makes this huge announcement, when a guy bitches out of a fight, there should still be the huge announcement, right? Because there's people like us that want to know. I want to know. I know every Saturday 11 guys are going to fight. I want to know who did it. I mean, I just f personally find that interesting. And I got I do got to give a pass to Jared Cannonier because Jared Cannonier did say he wanted to fight Chemayev. As a matter of fact, we all believe that it was going to be Cannonier versus Chemayev simply by a process of elimination. Not to mention it has been stated on the record by Dana at least once that if Chemayev was to fight at middleweight and declare himself a middleweight, not up and down, he would only need one victory to then draw to a title shot. So we just assumed it would be a top guy. I'm, I'm offering you, I'm still on the Jared Cannonier and where that rumor came from. So they break the fight, they send Paulo to Salt Lake City. Now, Paulo's got to change his lifestyle to make weight. He's got to have a training camp. He's got to bring in partners. He's got coaches. He's got a manager that did his job and got him a fight. I mean, right? like, there's a lot of things. Six days prior to the travel day, six days prior to Paulo Costa getting on an airplane and traveling to Salt Lake, they break the fight up. That represents 13 days before the fight itself. And we've never seen that. We've seen fights fall apart. They fall apart all the time. We've seen guys chicken out and blame injuries and illness and everything in between fights they were never planning to do, but we haven't had the organization break up a fight between two willing and able athletes. We haven't seen that before. So there was something going on, it would assume, about getting a, a meaningful opponent for Chamayev. There was something with those phone right? I'm telling you, I want to hear these people that are that are saying no. Well, apparently there was enough people to say no that they had to go back to Paulo Costa and take him back to this fight. Now, the only reason I'm giving you the timeline is there is a lot on that. And if you're going to break up a fight six days before you board an airplane, right? The guy's got his weight under control. The guy's starting to taper. The guy's starting to back off. He's probably got one hard workout left. He has a maximum of two, which just means his training partners and his trainers did their job. They would like to be paid 10%. And I don't believe that you are going to step in and break up a match, understanding all of those things, without sweetening the pot. That's my belief. I don't have any evidence of this, by the way. I don't believe you're going to get a guy to say no to a payday 13 days from now to get the exact same pay three months from now. I don't think so. Unless you sweeten the pot, which would mean you told them it's a number one contenders match. And for me, that's just a very interesting point. Because when you look at the calendar, right, Duplessis was the number one contender. This was announced. This was announced by the biggest voice in the world, Joe Rogan. And 44 minutes later, it was announced by Duplessis that his foot hurt and he wasn't going to do it. So then you have Sean Strickland as a number one contender. And I only bring that to you. You can't have two number one contenders at the same time. It doesn't work. I mean, just by the definition, like these aren't Chael's rules. This is the dictionary. So you can only have one, and that one is Sean Strickland. So what do you do with Duplessis? 
All signs are pointing to you're going to go grab Duplessis right after this fight. You're going to grab him on the night of September 16th. All signs are pointing to that. But on October 22nd, we have what I believe has already been promised to be a title fight. I don't have that evidence, by the way. I've laid out my case for why I've come to that conclusion, but I do want to make it clear. I don't have that information. But that one piece of drama would throw such an incredible interest because, by the way, you can't make everybody, you could go make that promise to these two guys, you're the number one contender, whoever wins this comes out, you're the number one contender. You can go and make that promise. But if Adesanya calls out Duplessis, he's going to fight Duplessis. Now, he, you could still honor that deal. You're just going to have to honor it in June or July of next year. Right, the most important part of a contract is the date. If I tell you I'm going to give you a million dollars, you're going to be very excited. I'm a man of my word. If I come back and tell you at a penny a year for the next hundred million years, you're not going to be quite as happy. That date really is what makes it. And I'm just sharing for you, it's, it's an incredible storyline going into this. I would love to have these details that I just speculated about. I've, I put my guess for it, but I would love to have those answers. And I love that Gilbert Burns was asked and took the time to give a breakdown. And Gilbert Burns says this fight is going to be deciding the clinch. You want to know what the problem is for me? I don't remember either one of them spending a ton of time in the clinch. I have seen them clinch. They have been there. But Paulo Costa loves to break free. Boom, boom, boom. I could tell you more fights where he broke out of a clinch and started coming off it with some big power. I could tell you more times that Shemayev touched a clinch, but then turned that into a takedown, whether it was a body lock, dropped to a double inside trip. Like, I've seen those positions, and I have them off the top of my head. I haven't seen them spend a period of time there. Like, take a Randy Couture, by example. Who would do the whole fight right there in the clinch, right? Teach us all something. It's a very interesting analysis by Gilbert Burns. Also, I think Gilbert's right. Adesanya spoke on Duplessis. Now, you, you got to understand, this is all tied in with odds coming out favoring Adesanya... Negative 600 to Sean Strickland plus 400. Now, I'm talking about DraftKings, but it, it ties into a very interesting question. Can you sell a fight that the audience is so sure they know the outcome to? Can you get the audience to watch a fight that they are so sure they know the outcome to? Minus 600 makes Izzy the favorite plus 400 for Sean Strickland. That's right now at DraftKings. And the reason that I bring that up is every time I see Izzy doing media, and Izzy's got legitimate heat. He has legitimate beef with Sean Strickland. They've shared press conferences together. As a matter of fact, I remember it so clearly. Izzy is getting ready to fight Cannoneer. Sean Strickland is getting ready to fight Alex Pierre. It's on the same card there, the same press conference. And Sean Strickland never mentions Pierre once. He throws all of his venom at Adesanya. And Adesanya's trying to deal with Jared and then have to look behind him and deal with Sean Strickland. I mean, th this is off the top of my head. I'm sharing with you, like, this match makes a lot of sense. I don't give a damn if you think it's a negative 600 to a plus 400. Like, that, that doesn't make any bit of difference to me. 
And as far as can that draw and can that sell? And if it does, then there's all the credit go to Adesanya because he's a big star. It's like, man, that, that's a piece of it. And Adesanya is that kind of a star. But you got to understand, if you're playing the bad guy and you're hated bad enough, it doesn't matter the kind of money that people are coming against you or how sure they are you're going to lose. They want to see it happen. So you have a really big fight on your hands in Sean Strickland with Israel Adesanya. And we haven't even gotten into an X's and O breakdown. And by the way, that is a lot harder fight than any negative 600 or any plus 400 DraftKings has ever booked. This is a lot more difficult fight than people understand. But as we build to the fight, we continually hear Adesanya getting pulled in different directions to talk about Drikas Duplessis. And that's a great problem to have if you're Izzy, right? If you're trying to spread it around, make sure I got something to do and make sure I got something to do after that, which is something that Adesanya does better than anybody. It's a really interesting position. In the course of this, Adesanya stated, I am not mad at Drinkus Duplissy. I am just disappointed. He said that it's a big enough fight. He'd still like to do the fight. He elaborated by ultimately saying, I would like to go to South Africa to hold this contest. I'll do it right there in front of his fan base. All right, let's get out on that, but let's take a little bit of a closer look. I had a gentleman come after me on YouTube. He came after me for me insinuating that Drikis Duplisi is faking an injury. I resent that, but I don't deny it. I resent it. I resent anything that sounds as though I put down Drikis Duplisi, who I believe, not only is the rightful number one contender, I love the story of how we got here. He was an undercard on December 10th that spoke up and had a problem with being an undercard. He made it all the way to co-main event status and number one contender's fight. Now, I'd love to tell you he made it all the way to a title fight, but he stopped himself here. These aren't Chael's rules. I'm telling you what happened. And I don't like the term that he faked an injury. I'm not insinuated I've never used the word fake, but I also haven't insinuated that you're faking an injury, right? I mean, I'll, I'll just share with you, based on your motivation for certain situations, right? You guys ever gotten ready to sell your car? Have you ever gotten to the point where you're getting ready to trade your car in? But you're on the fence. You don't, you don't know. If, you, you don't know. You're looking at interest rates and you haven't seen the right one. You're on the fence. As soon as you get to the point where you're thinking about trading your car, the very next day, five things will be wrong with that car. Now, the reality is nothing new is wrong with the car. You just notice it differently. You notice it differently because it's helping to motivate you for the decision that you've yet to make, but you want to make, which is to go get yourself a brand new car. That's what I'm suggesting with Duplisi. I will never take that back. And the person that came out and said that I was fake, I give you his name and my producers told me, don't go after him. That's all he's looking for is a back and forth. He should be looking for a back and forth. I will give it to him. If my audience likes him more, right, I'm going to have to up my job. I just don't know who this person was. And I also don't know what it is that they're seeing. If you had a dream in life, and all of you do, what is it? It's going to be different for everybody, but what is your dream? Your dream. Your actual dream. Now, if I could give it to you, if I could give it to you, but your foot hurt, are you going to walk over there and are you going to get your dream or not? There's the question. 
I didn't say your foot was broken, which by the way, a lot of you go, I, I don't care, I'll hobble over there. I didn't say that you, you, you got to be on crutches or a walker, you need assistance. I didn't say any of those things. I said, if your foot hurts and I can give you your dream, would you go take the dream or would you say, I, I can't get the dream, I got ah, my foot hurts, which would you do? So there was no insinuation by me that Drikas faked an injury. He was honest. He said, my foot hurts. I questioned in that moment, okay, in July, does he know that his foot is going to hurt on September 16th? I questioned in that moment. And now there's talk that he's going to come in on September 16th to the event. Okay, does he come with a sling? Does he come with a boot? Does he come with ice? Has he got two people under his arms? Or does he just walk to his seat just fine? Which would make my guess accurate that perhaps your foot hurts tonight. You just got to have a cage fight. I bet a whole bunch of things hurt. Do you think it'll hurt in September? And that's very fair by me. It's precisely what Adesanya said. It's exactly what he said. And so when a different date comes, you're able to categorize it. You're able to calm your nerves, to reassess. When a different date comes, can you change? And I think, yeah, I think a lot of people can. Yeah, I think you get caught up in a certain moment, you decompress, you're ready to go. But what happens if Israel Adesanya calls Duplisi into the ring, what happens if the odds makers at DraftKings are right? They've got it negative 600 favorite Adesanya. What happens if DraftKings is right and Adesanya wins? Do you believe in your mind, Adesanya, who's demanded that Duplisi show up to this event? It's, it's show up or else. Do you imagine that Adesanya is going to stand there and yell at Duplisi from the cage? Or do you think that Adesanya is going to demand Duplisi get into the cage and put Duplisi in that exact same moment that made him want to sell the car in the first place? It's a very interesting spot. Nothing is done until it's done. I mean, nothing is done. You're a number one contender. You're getting a title shot. You are not a number one contender with a title shot until that cage door shuts, no matter what you've heard. And will Adesanya force Duplisi to relive the same moment that hurt his leg in the first place? Will he force him to a face-to-face? -face? Will he force him to do his part on the microphone face-to-face? While he's trying to get under his skin and he's trying to get out of his head and he's trying to rattle him. Because one thing Israel's not trying to do is get him to avoid the fight. He's just trying to get him to show up and fight and fight with emotion. He didn't mean to back him down this far. Does Izzy see that a face-to-face -face is a cause for a hurt leg? Is he going to keep him on the outside? Is he going to call him out from the fence and leave him in the row and say, don't even put a camera, don't, don't even put a microphone on this guy. I'll take it from here. Right? I mean, if you want to fight, it's very different. Very different about how you go and pick it. And we haven't really seen this kind of a situation before. We haven't seen somebody get surprised with a face-to-face -face and change their mind. Now, they can change it back. But to have somebody insinuate that Chael says he's faking, I never used the word. That interview didn't happen. Sean Strickland versus Izzy doesn't happen. Had that interview... 
of Izzy Adesanya versus Duplice not happened, it wouldn't matter that DraftKings has Sean a plus 400 and Izzy and minus 600 because that fight never would have been booked. That leg never would have been hurt. You'd have never heard about it if it were. So, Israel Adesanya, who does have infinite wisdom, is he going to recreate that and make that part of the litmus test that Duplessis step in there and overcome his fear and do a face-to-face? -face? Or is he going to let it slide? And that is what DraftKings and everybody else should really be taking action Let's talk Surreal Gone. Guys, the timeline of Surreal Gone is very interesting to me. Like, here, let me just throw a, a stat at you. Did you know Surreal Gone had only had three fights before he fought in the UFC? He was 3-0. He was undefeated, but it was still only three fights. Now, there are meaningful fighters who could match that or who could even beat that stat, but they come from yesteryear, right? I mean, Brock Lesnar had no fights. Let's just say, for example, he's in the UFC... I think he was 2-1 and one at the time that he was the champion of the world. BJ Penn came in very quickly. Cain Velasquez, be another great example. Cain had about seven fights, but it'd be another great example. Three fights coming out of Paris. I would just wonder what Surreal's tie-in was. Like, who his contact was. Somebody knew somebody. Somebody did a great job, got him over. Not to mention, it looks like it was the right guy to sign. So I'm just trying to give you a time frame of Surreal Gone. It gets revealed to us somewhere along the way that he was training partners with Francis Ngannou. And that something happened within the gym. And they've parted ways, but it was Surreal, the younger Surreal, who stayed with the coach. Like, that's a really interesting story. One of the first times that I personally saw Surreal, and it's the first time that I remember seeing him, he fought Junior Dos Santos. Now, Junior Dos Santos, I believe to be the best boxer in the heavyweight division. And I don't think there's very many examples that you could give me where I was wrong, where somebody who stood and traded with Junior and it went their way. They exist. You, you could argue the Kane fights, but you'll also see why those were such beloved fights, right? And those were rocky moments for both guys. Surreal was able to put Junior away relatively fast and while on their feet. Big elbow, boom, hit him with it. Junior argued that that elbow landed behind the head in an illegal spot. And he was very sincere with his argument. He made the argument right in the cage, in fact. He told the announcers. So then he comes over and they watch it on the big screen. And I'm talking about Junior with Surreal. Turn to the big screen where they replay it. And guess what Surreal says? He said, yeah, maybe. To it being illegal. Yeah, maybe. And I've always appreciated him from that moment. Because what an illegal strike is is actually a very confusing rule. It should have been allowable strike, but I know what Junior saw, and I know how the tape looked, and I'm just sharing with you, for Surreal to not argue with the world champion, who was his elder, for him to show respect to his opponent, allow him to air his grievance, and not even deny it while watching it on tape, in fact, agreeing with him. I mean, I'll just share with you, this is my first memory of Surreal 
but there's a reason that I remember him. And then he goes in there with more former champions, current greats. He starts beating them all. Surreal runs his record up to 15-0, and 0, and then a very interesting stat comes out. It's very interesting stat starts circling the airwaves to the fact that it finally got grabbed and used by ESPN, which was Surreal Gone has never been taken down. Surreal Gone has not been on the canvas for one second. And that was a very interesting take. Because that reminds some of us from the old school of when Jeff Blatnick, rest his soul, told the world, as it related to Vitor Belfort, that he had no known weaknesses. It was very similar to find out Surreal hasn't spent one second on the canvas. That's how they worded it, by the way. They didn't say he's never been taken down, he's never had to use his jujitsu. he's never had to use a belly, he's never had to scramble, he's never had to get up, nobody can take him off his feet. They let you draw those conclusions on your own by saying that he has not spent one second on the canvas. Then they go and book him for a world title fight, and they don't book him with a wrestler. They book him with Derek Lewis, somebody that likes to stand up and trade. Now, that's going to be very interesting, right? You've got technique, got all-around technique, got a big, beautiful pedigree and resume from Surreal, and you got straight-up power by Derek Lewis. So we're, we're drawn into this. I mean, it was, it was very split. Who's going to go where? They ended up doing it in Houston, hometown of Derek Lewis. And that did sway a lot of people thinking that piece of favoritism or of advantage is going to help Derek. They went out there. They had a stand-up fight. Surreal gone. Left with the championship of the world. Now, I want to I go back on that and I want to just gloss forward to now. Okay, so, so let me not be quite so wordy. Surreal suffers his first loss. Do you want to know what happened to him next? And if you told me who his opponent was, you failed the course. Surreal gone, loses his first fight. Do you know what happened to him next? If you tell me the opponent, you've been sleeping in class. Surreal gone, lost his first fight. He returned to a main event. He took on Ty Tiavasa, as a matter of fact. So now he's one and one in his last two. Do you know where he went? To a main event opposite John Jones. He loses that fight. So now he's one and two out of his last three. Do you know where he went next? To a main event. It's this Saturday. And that's all that matters. And that's the only part of the story that actually matters. Are you going to fall? Yes. Are you going to fall down? Are you going to fall backwards? Well, that's your choice. Somebody knocks you over. Why, why do you always fall backwards? You don't have to. Next time you lose your balance, fall forward. Try it sometime. There's nothing that makes you go backwards. Try it sometime. Next time you fall, I've lost my balance. Go forward. Surreal fell forward. He lost his last fight. In the very first round, he was stopped. I mean, just by example, like these are things that most fighters would allow to, to, to pull them down. Surreal's a main event. I can't remember, aside from the example of the first time I saw him fighting Junior Dos Santos, I can't remember Surreal not being a main event. And I know not all of his fights were, but I, I can't remember it. Top of my head, I only see him as a main event fighter. I only see him as getting ready for five rounds. It's an interesting spot. Now he's fighting in Paris, which they... 
say is his home country. They're bringing in number seven guy. I mean, this is a hard draw. But they give him a hard draw every single time. He seems to find a way. He seems to adapt very well. And where does Surreal go with a victory? I think you'd have a hard time answering that. You'd have some guesses. But where does Surreal go with a loss? I think you'd have a hard time answering that. You'd have some guesses. And guys like that are very rare. Guys where if you were to close your eyes and then picture a loss and it not being a devastating thing, they're very rare. It's an interesting concept. Surreal gone is in the main event. He's in a main event and he's favored to win. People will tell you that if you lost your last fight, you have to fight somebody else who lost their last fight. They'll tell you that. They actually believe it. You'll have managers say, well, it doesn't make sense. You won and he lost. Those are your rules. Those aren't the actual rules. Surreal God not only lost his last fight, he's lost two of his last three fights. Oh, by the way, his last four were for world championships. Do you think, see where things are a little bit different? Do you see where he belongs in a main event? There's times in life you gotta follow the rules. And there's times in life you gotta realize somebody made up those rules and that person's got no power over you. All right, now I would love to give this media reporter a bump. But somebody had the audacity to ask Dana White if Brock Lesnar was coming back for UFC 300. Somebody actually asked that question. Now, this is a week after we put to rest the idea that Ronda was coming back to UFC 300. And the only reason I would say that I got to give that media member a bump, just so you know, newsflash for all of you, Brock Lesnar suspended. I've heard a number of you say that Brock is coming back and Brock is going to fight. Not just now. You've done this for years. Brock got suspended after his last fight in a class action lawsuit that Mark Hunt later launched. Take the word class action out of it. I used the wrong term. I'm just sharing with you. He never, he never did that time. Not only did he not do the time, at one point, that was in Nevada, he had to come and do a hearing, which he skipped, and he owes a fine, which he never paid. That was a long time ago. Perhaps he set the check. So what part of that story do I have wrong? I'll admit there could be something that I haven't heard about. He's suspended. That part I'm completely right about. And you keep forgetting that. And so for any reporter to ask the question and be such a newbie, right? You're bringing in an old man who left the sport because he was thrown out of it. He's got jurisdiction issues. He's got USADA over his head. Oh, and by the way, he just retired from fake fighting. If you can't fake fight anymore, how are you going to go and do a real fight? I mean, not for nothing. And you always want to use history as the greatest trajectory to the future. So UFC 300 isn't the first time we've seen it. It will be the third time that we've seen it. UFC 100, let me ask you a question. Did they bring back any dinosaurs? No matter how popular or beloved, did they bring back a dinosaur or not? If they did, then we could reasonably expect that they're going to do it again. Did they do it? Answer the question. Now, let's just fast forward to UFC 200. Did they bring back any dinosaurs? Like, was that a shtick that they needed? And at this point in time, do you not realize when that was done that it was for a shtick? Because they were really quite open about it. 
When ticket sales weren't going well or pay-per-views weren't going well, they tried to think in a number of different directions. But that was long gone by 2005. Just to share with you. Now, let's say you did bring back an old dog. Let's just say that you have that level... Do I gotta call you stupid? I don't wanna call you stupid. But is there another word? If you have another word, I would prefer to use that. Let's say that you did that. These spots are coveted, okay? If you can get a placement on UFC 300, you want it. Now, where you would fight and claw to be a main event, you're going to realize is going to be a little bit more difficult on a card like that because they're going to have multiple championship fights. And allegedly, there's a policy. I'm well aware we're going to adhere to the rules we make up on the spot. But allegedly, there's a policy that on a night of multiple title fights, the heaviest weight goes last. So I just share with you, even if you're a main event guy, you could be third from the top. George Saint-Pierre, who was the biggest draw in the sport, was a co-main event at UFC 100 because of his size, allegedly. So Daniel Cormier was not a main event at UFC 200 because his opponent wouldn't agree to the five rounds. And even though Daniel was champion, it became a non-title match. I believe that is the only time in UFC history that a champion has fought and the championship was not on the line. I don't believe that has ever happened before or since, but I'm just sharing with you. Like, it's a very different spot. So let's say you're one of these guys. You're in a coveted spot. You're fighting for these, and they bring in a dinosaur? And that dinosaur gets their own locker room in the back? Like a main event gets, like a title fight gets, that dinosaur is getting taken around in the special cars and not having to get on the bus like the main event and the title fight gets, that dinosaur is staying in the biggest fanciest suite at the hotel like the main event and the title fight gets. You know what you would do to morale? I mean, not for nothing. You're not going to sell a, a single more ticket. Like that's that, that's a gimmick that you reach for when you have to reach for. But that time ended 28 years ago. I did my math wrong, didn't I? But in 2005, 18 years ago, there's no precedence for that. And it just makes you a little bit stupid to ask it. So I just want to real calmly let you know, Brock is suspended. Not only is he not coming back, he can't come back because when he got suspended, he didn't go serve it. He told them to shove it up their ass. Just so you know. It's one of these really interesting spots where when you're going to go and run, let me give you a great example. I've avoided giving you this example for five minutes and 30 seconds because I feel like it could hurt somebody's feelings, but it shouldn't. I don't want it to. And it's a really great lesson that you need to know. Okay. The first time that I saw The Rock speak at a UFC event was the second time that the UFC ever went to Madison Square Garden. It was a massive event. And it was for something known as the BMF title, which had never been done before. And The Rock came in a day early and he addressed a very solid focus group, a very hardcore base that had come to see the weigh-ins and to see the press conference. 
Now, that's a different level of commitment than somebody that will go to a fight. There's people that win tickets on the radio, just by example. There's people, their buddies going, or their boyfriends going, or they're going to take, they've never been for it. They have a really great time, but they're not that level of fan rank. I mean, can you relate to that? They don't even know what they're looking at. They got the program, they're going through it. Hey, how many fights are left? What's that mean? They got a belt down there. Okay. When you go to a press conference on a weekday during work hours, or you go to a weigh-in, on a weekday during work hours, you're another level of fan. And The Rock comes out and he talks to this fan base. And he tells them about a movie he's going to make. And he tells them it's an MMA movie. And it's going to be on the smashing machine, Mark Kerr. But he said it's going to be on your own, right? He was trying to win over. It's going to be on your own. Your own hero. The Smashing Machine, Mark Kerr. He said beautiful things about Mark Kerr. Then I got him. Oh, man, The Rock, he could do an awesome Mark Kerr. I know the Mark Kerr story. It's great. The crowd was silent. And you should have seen the look on The Rock's face. This is the highest paid actor in Hollywood. And he broke character for a full second, which is a very long time. This was a highly awkward second. His face changed completely. He thought maybe they didn't hear him. He thought maybe the microphone had cut out. He's never spoke about that movie again, and that movie never got made. What I'm sharing with you is how fast it changes. So why you got a local yokel reporter that could ask a question of the boss and say Brock Lesnar at the same time and think he's going to get clickbait, and he would have. It's that same local yokel that thought he could say the name of Rhonda to the boss and get a reaction. It's the same fans that are going to be looking around going, who is this? Why are they full of wrinkles in the face? And where are the stars that I've been following for the last half a decade? All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And you all are in for a treat because you got another daytime card this Saturday. I hope you enjoy all the action from Paris, and I hope you get to watch it with some buddies. I know that I am going to be doing the same, plus I'm going to come back on Tuesday. I'm going to react to all of it just for you. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.